before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 97. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Keith Dicker, Ice Cap Asset Management, Rich Diaz, new background, Tom Brady of Macro. What's going on? We're moving up in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice painting. Yeah, it's it's probably fake. It's probably fake, but uh, it is nice. It's definitely nice. But anyway, I don't know. Nothing's going on, man. It's, it's like we said last week, it's the dog days of summer. Found a new gym. Uh, I've been biking all over the Montreal, which is lovely. Uh, my friend's in from London, so we, you know, we had a nice, lovely night. There's actually some great restaurants in Montreal. I'm starting to, I'm starting to feel, maybe feel a bit more comfortable. I need my uh, bour- my petite bourgeoisie. Uh, Are you one of those uh, annoying nice bikers that bikes in the middle of the road and pisses me off? No, but I definitely don't stop for or red at red lights. I'll not knock on wood. Hopefully that was hopefully that wasn't the first and last time we talk about biking. <laughs> but uh, no, I find I find bikers very annoying too. I think they're slow. They don't pay attention. They don't check their blind spots. And if I was a driver, I'd be furious. But that's I've been biking in cities since I was thirteen years old. So maybe so I'm not the right guy to too. ask. I'm not. <laughs> that's right, Keith. What's <laughs> up, man? Rich has ten years experience biking. <laughs> That's on his Tinder profile. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, oh, Rich, actually, uh, this I thought of you uh, because this week I had a, a text popped up. My phone said, how are you or something like that? And I'm like, who is this? And they're like, is this Harold? I'm like, no, it, it's I'm not Harold. It was one of these texts. You know, they're trying to get you. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah, of, of course. And, uh, you know, this this lady, which I assume is a dude, says, uh, you sound very handsome. And I said, I said, you think I'm handsome? You should see my friend Rich. Oh, God. And then the, the lady or the dude said, oh, do you have Rich's number? And I said, yeah, as a matter <laughs> no, of fact. No, you did not give them my phone number. That's poor. I'm already, I'm already taken with Mrs. Icecap. So, Rich. Expect a call. It's coming. Expect a call. call. Give them your your bank account info. My my social insurance number. (laughs) It's a dude. Don't forget that. (laughs) I don't know. Oh, (laughs) man, that's that's tough to top. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, dog days of summer, but there's lots going on uh, all across the world. Obviously, we'll open things up with the... On the national uh, housing front here, we got the latest data out of Korea, Canadian Real Estate Association. Kind of like a mixed bag on the on the data stuff. Keep in mind, like like any data set, all this stuff is kind of looking in the rearview mirror. Uh, so if you look at uh, home prices as measured by the home price index, that was that climbed one point one percent month over month. Uh, so the national house price index is officially down one point five percent year over year. Base effects. You'll actually see national house prices probably next month. Will probably show a year-over-year increase, and so I'm sure that will start to stir a lot of media headlines and calls for Bank of Canada to continue hiking and all that other stuff. But just keep in mind, this is kind of looking in the rearview mirror. I think what we're seeing anecdotally in the housing market, other than maybe like the Calgary market, which uh, continues to sort of just 
hum along. Uh, most housing markets across the country are now, again, slowing. Uh, I think prices have, have peaked out again. Um, and, and we'll see how things progress from here. Mortgage rates pushing higher, which I'm sure we're going to get into uh, in the show here a little bit later on about all the volatility uh, in the bond market. But that's kind of what's happening in your housing front. It still continues to be a story on inventory. Um, there's 3.2 months of inventory on a national basis. Uh, and so that's about the long-term historical average is five months of inventory for sales. You're at 3.2. Uh, so again, still a market that is starved for inventory. And I think this actually is really... Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys were following the news there, but uh, you know, it's it's obviously an, it's a similar story really across all these different markets, right? People are just like holding on to their houses; they're kind of like stuck; they're not moving. Uh, and this is obviously happening in the U.S., right? Nobody wants to give up their thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage. I don't know if you saw Warren Buffett take, I think, what three positions in U.S. home builders? Huge positions with the capital P. I think it's like eight hundred million dollars or something ridiculous like that. It was an enormous, enormous. Um, um, you know, he didn't just dabble. I think this. I think he's been building up a position in housing for a long time. But yeah, I saw that. But well, that's it's now I mean, a half a percent of his total assets. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, but it is interesting, right? Because I think, like, if you think about it, like again, I know U.S. is obviously a different ball game than Canada, but they're sort of facing a lot of the similar similar dynamics on the supply front. That U.S. home builders are have essentially become the only game in town. Uh, like, if you want access to inventory, like they're the only guys that are actually like building and releasing inventory. Uh, everybody else is just seemingly sitting on their thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage at three and a half percent. Um, so yeah, it's interesting just sort of see him, uh, take a pretty big dabble in the U S Steve, are mortgages portable in the U S or are people? Yeah. So if you're sitting on that 30 year rate, you don't want to leave because you, you know, you lose your rate. Correct. That's the deal. Yeah, exactly. And so at least in Canada, yeah, like it's portable, but like, it's not that portable. Like, again, you typically have 120 days to port it. So it's, which means like. If you sell your house, oh, there's a limit. Oh, that's yeah, it's 120 days, right? So it's like I'm saying, so like, let's say you're in your existing house and you're like, okay, well, I want to upgrade my house. So you have to sell your existing house, lock in your funds. Now you have 120 days, not to just to find a house, but to like find a house and close on a house, which basically means like more or less you've got two months to find a house. But in on a 25 year timeline, let's say you have a 25 year mortgage, you can port it at any time. Yes. Correct. Okay, cool. Right. But like, again, there's some, those are a lot of the stipulations is that you have this very short time window to port it. And when you're looking at the market and saying, Hmm, well, there's a 20 year low in, in inventory in my, in my market. Uh, am I, do I feel confident enough that I can find a house in two months or two and a half months to actually port it and close in 120 days? Yeah. Um, so, and again, obviously, you know, if you're upsizing, for example, you got to get stress tested, for the for the extra mortgage amount, and so um, I just think you're seeing a lot of people again. The inventory continues to be sort of the, the bigger bigger story here, surprisingly. So then, can I ask another question? So I am not allowed to say that. Apparently, got some comments. I'm not supposed to ask when I ask a question, <laughs> but I did it anyways. Um, one of the things I'm seeing on that Korea report is the sales to new listings ratio has started to fall. Can you explain yeah. what that means? Like, I know, obviously, I know what the ratio means, but it also doesn't mean that, like, so there's not, there's inventory is obviously constrained, but there's definitely way less action or there's lot less activity as well. Is that, is that right? 
Uh, yeah, sales to listings, sales to new listings ratio eased. Um, so basically, there's like new listings are are starting to sort of outpace sales. I suppose you could say that. But again, like it's at fifty nine point two percent. Uh, you know, compared to a recent peak of sixty eight in April, which is of course at the top of the spring market. So there's some seasonality to that. I'm um, getting a long term measure is around fifty five. Okay. percent for this time of year so it's still still pretty elevated again i but i think like let's 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 not no point in mincing words here i think as as people we're seeing a little bit of a push now the people that are transacting in the housing market uh they're they've got these rate holds that are now coming close to expiring a lot of them will start to expire mid-september end of september so people that are transacting right now a lot of them have rate holds at like you know three-year fix 4.99 and if that expires and when it expires and say, you know, end of September, um, the new rate for a three-year fix today is about 6.2, 6.3%. So um, you are seeing people with some urgency right now trying to get deals done. I have um, another question. Um, do they split out between existing homes, like months of inventory and new homes? Because I know in the U.S., um, Existing home inventory is three, like three months or whatever, which is very, very low. I think it's, if not an all-time low, it's just, um, just to, and then to put that in context, in two thousand and eight um, and nine, you had almost eleven months of inventory. So now existing homes is three. Yeah, at we the don't peak. Have... It was eleven, and in the new home inventory is like seven months, and then with a similar peak in two thousand and eight. So, and but it's coming down, right? As you said, in the U.S., the only way you can get your hands on a home is this new sort of what's coming online this new inventory and so you can see that yeah. months of, do they do that in canada too different, or no different market dynamics so like the the data that we've just chatted about here is, is all like resale mls data so okay. anything that's basically anything that is on the mls for sale this is what the data is tracking um obviously okay, a lot of new construction isn't done on the mls it's kind of this black shadow market oh interesting um i would say in general obviously pre-sale activity like new launches have fallen off dramatically, right? Because the developers are clearly pulling back and nervous about the market. So like, yeah, I think, and there's also a shadow market of like, okay, units under construction that were bought pre-sale two and a half years ago that people are trying to get out of, like that's not really on the MLS either. So I guess there's a little bit of a shadow inventory that you can say, oh, okay, like, could that be a potential, uh, you know, oversupply factor? Sure, maybe um, over time, it's just hard to like reconcile when these units complete and how when they all come to market. So, but there's um, a um, so as I'm listening to you, I, I, I'm phasing out because there's this really bright light just on the wall behind you, and I can't stop looking at it. Do you see it, me? Rich? No, what? for Steve, Steve, move to your left a little bit, move, move to the. There it is. Do you oh, see yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. What is that? And it goes on your forehead sometimes. Is that a hole in the <laughs> what is uh, it? Yeah, I don't know it's what's great, going on there. Great podcasting, Keith. <laughs> yeah, Keith, thanks for paying attention, buddy. You're really <laughs> dialed in today. Well, you were talking about like inventories and they move up and down, and it's the summer, it gets distorted. I do have what a good else? story. <laughs> I love stories. What, yeah, what do you got? Yeah, this is uh so I had a loony hour uh fan. Uh, listener, I should say, yeah, uh, super nice guy. Um, you know, I think he was at our live event there as well. But um, you know, he calls he calls me up. And he goes, "Hey, I've got this. You know, I've got the story for you." And so he says, "You know, I live in West Vancouver, and I live in the British properties, which is like for those that aren't familiar, is like incredibly expensive real estate. 
Um, and it tends to be really since like 20 over the last, let's say decade or so, it's kind of been, it's kind of become a Mecca for like the, it's like the foreign uh, doormat. Like it, it's just a dumping ground for, for offshore cash. And uh, so anyways, like mega, mega mansions up there. And so he goes, you know, I was walking down my street and, you know, and again, a lot of these houses in, in the British properties tend to be vacant or semi-occupied kind of thing. So he goes, you yeah, know, my neighbors, there's trash all over and looks like, you know, the, the garbage collector didn't pick up the garbage or maybe a, a bear got it and tipped it over. So he's like, you know, I went to go like start cleaning up this, the, you know, some of the garbage that was spilled onto the street. And he goes, I just like happened to like the one of the first things i picked up was a was a letter from cra and he's like i didn't like intentionally dig through he's like literally just like a cra thing and uh and he goes sure enough he goes it was uh it was a check from the cra for the canada workers benefit and uh uh, you know it was like a they're doing like quarterly uh payments now i think anyways this like it was like a 200 dollar check or something like that 250 bucks Yikes. And uh, so the, for those that aren't familiar, the Canada's Worker Benefit is a new program that the Trudeau government launched. Um, and this is a quote from Freeland when it, when it was launched. It says, the Canada Workers Benefit tops up the income of up to 4.2 million hardworking Canadians because no one working full-time should be struggling to put food on the table or pay their rent. So they started sending out these GST or these quarterly checks. And so this guy... There's What's the average in- price? What's the average price of one of these houses? I can tell you. So I think the guy, I, I got like evidence of it. So this isn't just like a bull, like a bullshit story. I have evidence of. Unlike most of my stories, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I had the address of the property. I put it, I put the, I looked up the address. The house is tax assessed by the BC assessment tax authority at $12 million. Nice. <laughs> so nice. this guy's getting, and it, apparently he says that the house is actually like vacant. Nobody really lives there. Um, so I mean, to his credit, he didn't cash the check. So maybe the system is working just fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, so the guy in the $12 million house got, uh, I'm glad to know our, our, uh, the loony hour tax dollars are, are funding. So, th- so this is an example of a uh, an income, so a government benefit based on an income test versus asset yeah. test, right, Rich? That's right. Yeah. That's <laughs> you know right. how I feel about assets versus income. It actually says I know. on it actually said on the sheet too. It was like so his the declared income for this individual was thirty three thousand. Yeah, of course. That's, so it's bogus. Anyways, obviously um, he's. Uh, so did he cash the check? Like, did he just scribble a number on it? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get involved in that. But uh, I'll just. I'll just leave it there. Anyway. So this is what's happening. We've got, uh, you know, in checks being sent out in the mail to multi uh, multi millionaires here in Vancouver. Um, oh, so good. Pay their groceries. Oh, good. One day we'll talk about UBI and how effective that is as a strategy. But I think we should talk about the inflation imprint. Well, I mean, this partially comes to the inflation. If the government is is hell-bent on continuing to send out checks to anyone with a pulse, um, inflation may... So the government is borrowing money to give to people to spend to help bring inflation down. Is that the story? That's the plan. 
I mean, some people genuinely I deserve think some government help. So let's 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 you know, it's not yeah, that's crazy. true. And people are going to get it's all just upset. not the person, not the person who lives in a twelve million dollar house. That's ridiculous. Uh, but anyway, so in, inflation uh, uh, ripped on the news, of course. Uh, so the the coming into this uh, inflation report, you know, the 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 estimate was for a three percent headline inflation. You remember last month? Last month we had two point eight percent year over year headline inflation. Um, Base effects, of course, helped us get us there. Base effects are now pushing us back up. But nonetheless, we were at 2.8 last month. The expectation was for 3%. Uh, headline inflation actually came in surprisingly at 3.3. So a huge surprise to the upside. Uh, Rich, I don't know if you have any commentary on that. Yeah, I mean, let's just go over it normally. I mean, so um, there was one very famous politician who bragged about the 2.8. So I thought it was quite delicious that um, it, it quickly reversed on this person. Um, so it rose to 3.3. Um, 3. I have my Bloomberg working today, so we can quickly see what's going on here. I thought I'd be able to do it quickly, but I guess not. Um, uh, she, so electricity, she, unpin- oh. she unpinned it from her profile, by the way. Oh, interesting. Okay. So anyone that's... that's paying attention, Krista Freeland was out, you know, obviously promoting the 2.8 headline inflation, lowest in the G7, back within the Bank of Canada's target range. She had that pinned on her profile. Honestly, it must have been up till like a couple hours ago. Um, so after the three point three, like a day and a half later. Oh, you your your mic got unplugged. Um, but anyway, so I mean, this is the diff- this is why you don't take victory laps with one data point. Surely, she someone should have told her that. But anyways, um, so I mean, listen, it again, and we shouldn't take a victory lap on this either. I mean, the reality is, is this this series it does fluctuate. There is some you know, stuff that goes on there, the specific items that, you know, jump all over the place. For example, electricity prices and rose in Alberta increasing 127% in July year on a year over basis, right? So that, that those kinds of things happen. Um, the mortgage cost jumped 30% year on year. That's no should surprise nobody. Um, stuff that I thought was interesting, though, was, you know, you have some big um, sort of an, incre- um, an increase in services to 4.3. We've talked about how that's sticky. Um, and then also we always talk about sort of the core, the the preferred measure, the three preferred measures of core inflation by the BOC. And why I bring that is because after falling precipitously, so from the mid fives and whatever sixes, you know, I'm, I'm just see when was that exactly? I think like last year, late last year, you had it fell really quickly and it's they stopped falling. So to me, that is the big takeaway. You have the core measures that sort of do either the trimmed mean piece uh, CPI, which is basically you take out the edge numbers in order to get a measure of central tendency. There's another one. I can't remember what the what there's the there's the common one, which is basically a model. And then there's another one. Oh, yeah, and the weighted means. That's like a different one. Anyway, I forget what they all do now. But, but the point is off a bit. That, that, but that's the key thing. So they were falling a lot. Um, and then now they've stopped falling. And so we'll, I mean, that to me, it's always about the, it's not so much about the, sometimes it's about the direction. Yes. But it's also the change in those numbers and how they stop or reverse or what have you. So I thought that was sort of really interesting. And again, services just to, sorry, just to belabor that point, I think. So we'll see. I think it's exact. You mentioned the base effects. I mentioned sort of some of the sort of the blow, like sort of the, you know, hitting my head on the side of the swimming pool and then coming back. I think that that's happening. Watch out for energy prices. You know, you're seeing a lot of energy prices sort of head higher. I don't think this is over. You know, we the, when I mentioned that a year ago or six months ago on Twitter, everybody thought I was absolutely nuts. I just think this inflation is entrenched um, for a n- multiple number of reasons. And I'm sure Keith is going to tell me how I screwed that up. 
No, I think you're right on. Yeah. Uh, okay, so good. do you think then that they'll, like, we can talk about, you know, what the Bank of Canada's price at doing right. and what the expectations is. Is it right now, by the way, like there's a huge uh, divergence between Bank of Canada expectations and, and the Fed. Yeah. So if, if anyone is, anyone has access to those products to trade it, there's, hey, you can play that if you want to. Um, but like I'm hearing you explain it, and I'm hearing that you think they will have the op- they by the Bank of Canada. I mean, will have the opportunity to to stay hawkish, even start raising they, rates again. That, that's what that's I hear. Right? Yeah, that's my the, view. On the, sorry, they, on the, the Bank, they Bank they of Canada, sorry. Rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Hmm. Interesting. What's the market? Yeah, I what's think the they market, have to. What's the market currently priced at? The September six, um, I think, is the next meeting. By the way. September 6th is the next meeting. Um, and right now, basically, n- no no price, no hike. It's like a 33% chance of a rate hike, basically, which means the way it's calculated, it's basically like, uh, you know, but but there's a full hike priced in basically by the end of this year. One more. One more by the end of this year. Yeah. Look at you with your Bloomberg terminal. I, I, know. I know. Like, I'm not even needed anymore, right? Moving like, on up in the world. I like... I'd be like uh, Michael Sierra. What? What? Uh, an arrested development. Marie put his head down and walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. If, hey, Rich, you'll appreciate this. Um, this isn't the official Stats Can report, so this isn't Uh-oh. like you know. So Stats Canada says uh, uh, Nova Scotians saw prices at the pump increase by fourteen percent in July compared with June. The introduction of the federal carbon levy in the province and higher wholesale prices contributed to higher gasoline prices. Yeah, that's what taxes do. They raise prices for things. <laughs> well, but I, I mean, like, listen, you can love the but, carbon tax. But, you can hate the carbon tax. The, 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 to pretend it's not inflationary is just you're detached from reality. The, you can think it's the greatest policy in the world. It could, It's still inflationary. You're literally adding to the price of the thing that you are buying. So I don't get why there's... Well, this is... I'm, but yeah, again, but this is kind of the, the issue. And this is not just a Canada thing. We know this is happening in most of Western democracies, which is, you know... These these governments are 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 basically moving in the opposite direction of these central bankers. The central bankers are yeah. obviously trying to lower inflation, start to kill demand, and governments are continuing to sort of basically essentially print money and mail out checks and and that's that's really frustrating for the central bankers, you know, because they're trying to they're not trying, they're definitely slowing the the flow. Of, of money, you know, supply into the system. I mean, there's lots of data that show that, but yet that's being offset on the fiscal side, you know, by the enormous deficits of Canada and then the Americans and everyone else, yeah. for example. So if you're a central banker and, you know, you're getting, you know, getting slammed for not bringing inflation down, like, I would just love for one of them to lose it and say, Hey, listen, it's not our fault. We're doing everything we can. It is these guys on the other side of the street they're the ones you should be yelling at because they're the ones that are causing it, causing inflation, you know, to remain sticky. But with this current number, you know, that you were just running through, Rich, I'm trying to see it here now as well. Um, I, like, so it's it's still trending. Like, a lot of people look at the headline number. So what's the headline at three 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 point three? Yeah, three three, and you know, the week before. The month before it was two ways. That's year over year. So like, oh yeah, it's still going up. But if you look at the core data, like it's it's still trending in the right direction. Like that's yeah. it hasn't achieved escape velocity again. 
so the Bank of Canada will look at this and say, okay, we're you know we're now expecting all these you know going from zero to five in was it eighteen months, Steve? I guess something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to wait to see what kind of a bite that has. So maybe the numbers will start to get a bit softer. The uh, but the challenge we're going to have, you know, I was chatting with a guy yesterday, and uh, so he drove up the coast up of the the uh, the American coast. And he was just talking about like the the price of everything everywhere, not just in Canada, but down in in the U.S. And we were just talking about like how do how does the average family afford this stuff? I mean, the comment he made was, "Yeah, we pulled into the Chick Fil A to get you know a quick lunch, and you know seventy dollars later we we leave you know, seventy bucks for takeaway, you know chicken sandwiches. But I think they are good." Yeah. I've I hear the very good things about Chick Fil A. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Popeyes is the other one, right? With with the we, has a real we don't nice... have that here. I don't think anyway. I had one before. I always try to make that that up. I lost my train of thought. Now we went on to food. Said Popeyes really opening downtown Vancouver. Fun fact. <laughs> no, that's not what he was saying. He was saying that families are having a hard time. How do they afford spending that kind of money on food, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. And so what's happening now? Uh, and you're starting to see some more data points come out with this households accumulated a lot of savings during the pandemic because you couldn't spend it. You know, you, you couldn't go anywhere, you know, government of Canada checks are showing up on your front lawn and, and stuff like that. But uh, now we're likely at a point where the, the savings is starting to run out. And, it, and again, like I'm in a camp, I believe, you know, by default, a recession does happen next. This is the way a cycle work works. When it happens, you know, is it this year or early next year? We don't quite know yet, but we are set up for this. You know, I think it will be a dramatic slowdown because right now everyone feels you know, nice and warm and, and fluffy about it. And it's nothing really soft landing. Yeah, no landing. All, all that or no landing and all that. But it, it is going to bite. And, you know, you, you, you get that from going to the Chick-fil-A. That's that's the story here. It's not just that. It's my sister. So my sister, who never gets a shout out on this show, although she probably should because she listens every week and I love her. She works in um, PCG, so uh, consumer goods, basically. Um, and she sells, let's say, a discretionary product. She works for an animal a company that sells products for animals. People love their animals. They spend incredible amount of money on animals. Ask Steve's wife. But the, the point is, is like she's starting to see she has an online business naturally. And she's starting to see those baskets change ever so slightly where people are starting instead of buying, you know, you know, $20 dog toy, they're buying a $15 dog toy or, you know, $10 dog toy or whatever it is. You know, the baskets are changing. And I think we are, you know, even though the market, as you said, Keith, is, is priced as if we're not going to have this hard landing at all. I think that there's already starting to see some real changes in people's attitudes and habits and the substitution effect, which we've talked about before, and other ways that people are expressing their concern over what's going on in the economy. So next we have, of we, course... Well, well, we had Canadian Tire, right, which, which we chatted yeah. about last week, which I think is the the brilliant example, which is, you know, yeah. the CEO coming out and saying, we're seeing it in our numbers and, and in our data that's showing the consumer is, is really pulling back. Remember they they uh, I think what was the wording? We're revising our financial aspirations. <laughs> <laughs> Such a, so good. 
That's outstanding. I've never heard that before. That, that's really sharp. Whoever came up with that, anyone at Canadian Tire head office, whoever came up with that, please connect with us. Because you deserve a Looney Hour mug for, for that. For that Looney Hour is also pulling back on their financial aspirations here. <laughs> tough economic times. Yeah, yeah. That West Coast swing took us for a hit. I think at, yeah, at the end. That's right. That was. Uh, but that's because of. Yeah, that's because they're rich at the bar every night. No, that no. Was the, uh, but guys, with the uh, so back to the Bank of Canada CPI story and Chick Fil A and all that stuff. Uh, so, so right now, so as Rich, you just mentioned, you know, the expectations are for the Bank of Canada they were hike rates by twenty five points mm-hmm. coming up. Not coming but up by, s- by sorry, no, by the end, end of the year. Excuse me, sorry, sorry, sorry. By the end of the year, if I missed. Yeah, that, I didn't sorry. mean. Yes, Your Honor, I didn't mean to mislead the, the bench. Uh, but why don't you swing over to the American WERP screen? And sure. in the Bloomberg world, that stands Uh-oh. for... Uh, what's the WERP stand for? I don't know. <laughs> world, world interest rate. rate probability. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so, the, uh, so the interesting here is that, you know, the market is expecting, you know, the as the Brits would call them, the Yanks. You know they're going to start cutting rates aggressively. You know, starting next spring, I guess we're looking at rich yep. like next yep. May, June, something like that. But it, it's a huge difference. Like they're almost down by a hundred basis points. You know, towards the end of of next year. And um, so again, so the market expectation is that we now again we had a, a dovish Fed, and this is very important because remember everything is linked together. What was the uh, the first animal we talked about in the room, Steve? The panda. Yeah, the room. panda a few weeks ago. And then the, the guy, the other guy in the room, not the, the fish. We came with the fish. The fish <laughs> in the, the room. The ninja. I don't approve yeah, of, but anyways. <laughs> it was the ninja in, in the room. Um, and then we have the American. So the reason I, I bring this up, because everything is connected. And, you know, we love to use the expression, which which we coined. We is me, by the way, not, not you two. Um you know, global risk has been synchronized. You here. coined that. Okay. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks. You should get that on a t-shirt. You know, that yeah. would work out. And um, but right now, though, if the expectations are for the Fed to no longer hike and, and to cut, that's what the Chinese and, and the Japanese need to hear. Because remember, China, they cut rates last week. I think it was 15 basis points. That that's that's what they did. Um, and, and the Japanese, they have pretty soft numbers. Both their currencies are, are coming down quite aggressively. If the Americans hike rates again, that then becomes another double whammy for both China and Japan. Because on a relative interest rate basis or perspective, now it's even more uh, rewarding where you get paid more you know, to stay in, in the US as opposed to going to those countries. If you look at... So next you look at, okay, what's the data in the U.S.? You know, is the economy strong or weak? And again, the economy is doing pretty well. Uh, Steve or Rich, pull up the Atlanta now GDP. It's doing super well. It's at 5%. I was looking at it. So Atlanta, yeah. let's explain what an Atlanta now thing is, maybe, if that's okay, or else. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah, curious can you, how much can you, do that? you put you're into better, that. You're better you, at the boring. Yeah, sure. So something <laughs> better at the boring Okay. Um, so the Atlanta now, it's called the GDP now, actually, and it's from the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. And we've talked about there's different reserve uh, branches and each sort of specialize in different things. The tech, Dallas does energy and whatever. Now my computer is lagging, which is really great timing. 
Um, but basically, so what they do is they do, um, it's called GDP now, you can Google it, it's free. And they, they basically, um, they use, a, a basically, they amalgamate or, you know, funnel loads of different types of data. So everything from manufacturing, employment data, inflation, survey data, housing data, on and on and on. And they basically generate a sort of real-time predictor of global, sorry, of U.S. GDP. And so they, and then on the on the website, you can see they have sort of the blue chip consensus is what they call it, which is sort of an aggregation of all the economists' forecasts, expectations, whatever. They show the range, and then they have their own sort of Atlanta Fed GDP now estimate. And what's and obviously, you know, it it moves as new data is presented and available. And right now, Keith, it's at basically four percent and rising towards the end of sort of this quarter, which I think I'm sure you're going to tell us why that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's like 2005 numbers, I think. Like back, I don't remember that's back real then. real GDP. Like, sorry, sorry. Just sorry. I interrupted you, but it's a real GDP. Just in case. Yeah, like, you know, the economy was flying back then. Uh, so the point is, if that's what, you know, Q3 data clocks in at, you know, for the American economy, that the Fed has to stay hawkish. You know, they have to raise rates again. And so then that's going to put a lot more pressure on, on China and, and their currency, their capital flow, trying to keep things in check. Same thing with, with Japan. So like it's, again, you always have to understand and appreciate which way policy makers are moving with interest rates, what they're going to do, what's expected in the market. And what the impact can be from one country, you know, to the other. So, and like with Canadians right now, again, like we're, hey, they're they're really priced to not make any moves next mm-hmm. month. Like I'd be shocked if they did anything in September. And uh, by the way, didn't we do the live survey in the Vancouver event for the September yeah. move? I voted for for a hike. I think the market was was calling for a hike. Basically, the audience. I think it was fifty fifty. No, no, fifty fifty. That was what was cool mm-hmm. about it. It was actually roughly fifty fifty. I mean, this is not exactly scientific here, but you know. Yeah, I said no hike, and you said a hike, which means yeah. Steve will be right, whatever the answer is. <laughs> no, but Steve agreed. With <laughs> we're you. never right. You and I are always wrong with this yeah, thing. Yeah. But wait a second. Sorry, to Keith. Let me just go back one step. You said like the the Fed minutes were were dovish, and what's funny is, and I think people need to understand. No, we didn't this. talk about we didn't talk about the minutes yet. Oh, we didn't. Oh, okay. I thought you said. Yeah. Okay, sorry, my bad. Man, you guys are all over the place today. What? I yeah. thought we were doing a good job today. <laughs> it's a bit sloppy, truthfully. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, let's. But at least on, Keith, both Rich, together, at right? least at least you and I don't have this like bright like laser light on our forehead <laughs> like Steve. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on Spotify, you're missing out on this. Yeah, this is right. a. Uh, I still don't no, know what you're talking about, but Eddie, yes. is this <laughs> but not back coming to this yet? story? It's about the Fed, the expectations for them not to raise rates, and what I'm strongly suggesting here is that they will raise rates, and then that's more of a risk-off market advantage. It just starts to accelerate, you know, the current market move, which is risk-off. So then the Chinese, I mean, like they already cut rates. They're trying to, you know, solve this bad loan problem they have. We've already talked about, you know, the employment population is in decline. The number of unemployed youth, whatever the age cutoff is for that, like that's that's struggling. They One saw, thing they, they discontinued that data set after Rich called it out. Oh, you're so right. Yeah, they they did that. It was definitely my fault. I apologize. Yeah, everybody. yeah, G's been listening to the Looney Hour. 
you know what the, Panda the, in the, the room. lady or the dude who texted me i think he <laughs> is in china you're 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 Uh-oh. marked now rich but in china one thing they can do like they can pass out stimmy checks like what they're thrown on the lawns they're in what was the neighborhood the royal neighborhood in vancouver steve what was the british properties the british properties there you go but if they're afraid to do that because if they do that it then people will get used to receiving it and they'll demand it again the next time i'm just pointing out we're set up for the fed to raise rates here in september couple of weeks away jackson hole is coming up next week or the week after and like that could be like a precursor to it and it it we're, we're set up for uh you know some pretty cool market events if so you're getting like, cool market events yeah no i'm kind of curious because i mean um yeah this is kind of like setting up for i think a really unfortunate landing is what i'll call it but uh you know global yields uh reach a 15-year high uh as rate hike worries build and so is this uh is this kind of like the last gas right which is like everyone's like holy crap like the economy's not rolling over gdp now cash and atlanta fed are blowing out uh we got to get even more rate hikes in yields obviously pushing even higher and and to me i feel like this is just like at some point this just has to suffocate markets and well the consumer. that's yeah well i'll jump in there i think what's so i i agree with you sort of in principle but what's actually happening is market sentiments actually weirdly improved so, so i mean wait maybe not let me let me re- rephrase that there are ways that you can calculate or that people show sort of sentiment. Um, and there's like literally surveys that they do. For example, one of the charts I was looking at today, which is the American Association of Independent Investors. I got that one right. And they basically ask a bunch of these people, are you bullish? Are you bearish? Are you neutral? And how, to what extent these people are? And they aggregate these sort of surveys. And you can, over time, you can see what sort of happens. And they've been doing this for a long, long time. So it's relatively reliable. Maybe it's lagging. Maybe it's not. But what you're starting to see is actually um, there are fewer investors that are very, very bearish. And so to me, that's like a really, really sweet setup for disappointment. As I think well, that's what I'm saying. Everybody's now like capitulating and being like, you know, everybody coming to this year was like recession call. Like yeah, I don't know there's one person that wasn't like we're gonna have a recession. It was so consensus, and yeah. now the consensus is clearly shifting to like, yeah, I guess there is no recession. And but that's a dangerous game, yeah. Yeah, totally. And this feels like the sort of the last bear capitulating uh as yeah. yields as yields blow out higher here. Um you know, we'll so I, I have access. So one one of the uh the, the sentiment models that I use is, is from a firm, is uh it's called Ned Davis Research. So they have a uh, a daily trading sentiment composite. It's uh, Davis two sixty five. If anyone is is using their their research and models, uh, so right now it covers you know stock market sentiment, and it it's the model now. It's it's not in the excessive optimism zone or the extreme pessimism zone. It, it's sort of in the middle. So like when when we're managing money, you know you have whatever model or tool you're using to help you make decisions, you have that. And then you overlay sentiment on top of it. You never make a trade just based solely on, on sentiment because sentiment, it can wear off over time. Yeah. It's, it's fickle, you know? Um, But right now, I mean, like market has been a bit soft over the last five days, like both equities, 
currency world um and and then with the, the tenure which is i think steve you didn't use the word mullered but it is getting mullered i think pretty good uh, but this sentiment model is just saying hey this this could get uh even worse than we are now because think about it i think equities are off what four percent from the recent high yeah nasdaq's had three bad weeks in a row that's Um, crazy for markets to be (laughs) i got a question for you on the sentiment side of things i think and rich correct me if i'm wrong but i think real u.s real yields for example uh i believe are the highest since 2008 2009 Mm-hmm. That sounds so, that sounds right. So you're actually being compensated to hold, let's say, long bonds. Yep. Um, yet nobody wants them. Um, which is funny because if you think, you know, and then you go back to let's say 2015, uh, when in, when rates were zero, uh, and everybody was was buying bonds hand over fist, couldn't get couldn't get enough of them. And now, no, you know, now you're actually you're actually being compensated for the first time in in a very very long time. Uh, you're you're actually being paid a real return, a real compensation on bonds, and nobody wants them. Well, that's because a, the U.S. is running a six percent budget deficit. So it's some other considerations, but Keith, so no, right, yeah, and, and again, just yeah, you know, strictly from and a there's a difference between yeah, like from like a, a retail investor or a private client or you know a, a smallish type fund, you can go, yeah, you know what, this is a good deal. Let, let let's do this. It's you know it's kind of similar if you bought long bonds in 1982 you know that's like buying i don't know apple stock at five cents or something right um but right now though as you know rich you just mentioned there's a lot of supply coming online in in the treasury world uh same thing with canada like we're pumping out more debt than we're issuing more because we need to borrow to cover that big deficit and debt rollovers china is selling treasuries because they need dollars that's adding to supply on the, on the market japanese are selling treasuries as well because they need they need dollars so it you know it can get a, a bit worse maybe bad, but maybe the trade here you know we um and this is not you know any kind of strong investment suggestion or anything but you know the long yields can probably go a, a bit higher a bit longer here and uh, it's something we're watching closely, and we could take a position soon, or we may have already taken a position. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's for the public, of course, right? But when we do it, you know, we'll we'll share with you. But I think you might, yeah, Steve. I think you have identified it. You know, a, an opportunity there coming up. But that would be in the government bond world. I would not yeah. buy credit. I would not buy credit with with something rich might own. Is this? But uh, this is a case of fiscal dominance, right? Which is the government spending is actually overwhelming uh you know the the supply the supply of of government debt is is um overwhelming the the demand on the private side but the, the, not all government spending is created equal right so giving checks to a person who lives in a 12 million dollar house that's that's dumb um spending on in my view anyway spending on infrastructure and that kind of stuff is not or less done a lot less done and i think that what because we that's an investment might, right one right, thing is the spending right. yeah like income statement item no there was a balance sheet right but the reason i'm bringing that up is what i'm bringing the reason i'm bringing that up is because there's other parts of the economy you know we're talking about consumer in canada that aren't doing so hot well one part of the economy in the u.s is actually doing really well is is spending on manufacturing so we've talked about uh gross fixed capital formation and those that's split up into two you have structures and equipment 
um, you know, you're having, you're seeing a resurgence in that and the spending on that fueled by the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is, of course, an oxymoron in the name of the, the bill, uh, which we correctly called out, by the way, very long, long time ago. But my point really is that there's a huge amount of spending in some really key infrastructure spaces, the energy space, whether you like it or not, that's happening. Manufacturing space as a function of reshoring and onshoring a lot of these businesses. And if you look at sort of, we talked about bellwether stocks a lot. If you look at stocks like Cat, you know, Caterpillar or Komatsu, or there's another company called Eaton that do these big infrastructure projects. So actually those stocks are telling you that there is no recession. Those stocks are actually t- confirming what you're seeing in the na- in the GDP now cast. And that's what makes obviously our job difficult and obviously fun too. But it's it's not all, you know, it's not, it's not straightforward at all, I don't think. Don't well, anyone that's got, you know, a very, very strong opinion on <laughs> the direction of where we're going in the next six to 12 months, I think should, uh, you should be very, should be very cautious on that one. <laughs> yeah. Keith knows, though. Keith knows exactly where we're going. <laughs> I, I just can't stop staring at the laser thing right now. <laughs> it's, it's G. It's G's laser. I think it's gone now. Can we talk about yeah. the ESG thing? <laughs> I think you, you've yeah. earned it. It's kind of, yeah, absolutely. And then maybe it ties in with the, the Twitter fight that you mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's all, yeah, I mean, everything is tied together. Um, I think Steve's story might resonate more with more people I'm listening. I'm listening. than the, yeah, let's, let's go with Steve's first. Oh yeah. So there's been uh rich, you mentioned it actually just earlier on in the show, right? As we were walking through Canada's CPI inflation print. So what was it? Electricity prices in Alberta were up like 146% or something ridiculous like that. that, Um, So basically what's been going on there is the Alberta government, I believe, has actually been subsidizing uh, electricity costs. Um, And so again, I don't know all the specifics of it, but basically they've, they've, they've now removed that sort of subsidy and obviously that's been blowing out. And at the same time, there's been the these discussions or not discussions, but demands from the environment minister here in Canada, Stephen Gillibo or whatever, however you say his last name is, but basically telling Alberta that they essentially need to electrify their power grid by 2035. They basically want it to be like, what is a net zero power grid by 2035? Anyway, so him and Danny, him and the premier Danielle Smith have basically been going back and forth, uh, very publicly on Twitter and uh, calling each other names, and um, basically squabbling about how to reduce emissions in Canada. So it's actually been very, very entertaining. If you're following any of them on Twitter, um, they've been going at it. Um, but basically, you know, Danielle Smith, she put out a, a graph. Uh, four or five days ago, uh, showing critical points, for example, last winter where they barely had enough power to keep their homes and businesses running. Uh, And so she basically says, you know, check out the the chart where it shows there was basically near zero wind and solar um, during those winter months. Uh, And so natural gas is actually what, 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 powered Alberta and kept everybody warm uh, during last winter. And so she's been really pushing back on the federal government's requests to, and expedite the the green transition, which again does not go over well in Alberta. Well, it doesn't go over well in any country that 
uh, ascribes to the laws of thermodynamics <laughs> and energy density. I mean, this is what happened in Germany when you had a couple of days last winter when they got squeezed by the Russians. And they had they have an incredible amount of capacity for wind and solar, but they didn't get the right um, environmental conditions for it. And they had to basically buy nuclear power from France and natural gas from their neighbors, etc. I mean, yeah, we're going to see more and more of this the fight between dogma and reality. And and I'm I, I'm cheering. I'm on the side of reality, really. So he's but. actually uh, and this kind of leads to the, the environment minister, Mr. Gilbo there. He's actually flying to China uh, this week. To talk to G about the Looney Hour podcast <laughs> and to get him to comply with uh, the ESG. Uh... Okay, so here's a contrarian view that you're not going to be surprised. That's his job. His job as an environment. If you believe, I mean, I don't agree with the policy, but I don't agree with the criticism of him either. Because well, if your yeah. job is as an environment minister, and that's your view, again, I don't agree with that view, but that is your prescribed view. Naturally, you have to go after the biggest polluter by far the world's biggest polluter and to get them on board right so i, I don't get well the, let's walk to this scenario you, but... let's walk to this scenario this guy's gonna okay. fly to china and he's gonna say hey mr g can you uh can you cut the coal there buddy and uh <laughs> put up some more solar plants you know i, mean, we I just don't put... agree with him but that's i don't agree of course i agree with you in the sense that it's it's a it's a fool's errand sure but he is the environment minister and their policy as misguided as it is is clear so naturally he should get on a plane and go and try to i don't know twist g's arm or something i, I, I it's ridiculous this guy's gonna get squashed like a bug <laughs> i don't know man I'm, I'm with steve on this one i mean you'd have to know your expectation expectation should be that the value added for taking that trip and that meeting, if he actually got the meeting, I'd, I'd be surprised if, if they did, uh, is purely for domestic political purposes. Okay, so that's, fair. That's my, that's fair that's my be belief, right? Um, and maybe, but Rich is right as well, you know, that, hey, this is the policy. So, this, so hey, this is what he's going to try to do. But this when you go back to, it's probably not the right policy. Of course, it's goes, not the right policy. Wait, it's, it's, Rich, yeah. how many how many new coal powered plants is China opening this? Then uh, I think a hundred and two like gigawatts, which is like roughly fifty or sixty new power plants, <laughs> more than every other country combined. And then you've got uh, what oil oil demand uh, hit a new record high too as well. Yeah, it's about fifteen million. Week. Yeah, it's it's rising quickly. It's uh, I can't remember right now. I forget the number offhand, but I think it's about fifteen million uh, barrels of oil a day. I mean, China's one of the largest producers of oil as well. So right, so we've talked about the U.S., Russia, Saudi Arabia, in whichever order that is. Then it's Canada, number four, which four point five, and then China's like right below that with like four point four. But the problem is they consume way more oil than they they produce, and so they that's why they're you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's for a conversation for a different day. But also this uh, Mr. Gilbo or Premier Danielle Smith, if either of you are listening to this show, you are welcome to come and have a civil debate on this podcast. Or conversely, I'll have one of you on uh, each. each. So there you go. There's your, there's there's no your debate. I want, I, we don't even need to debate with them. I'm just curious, really genuinely about just a conversation. Think. Yeah. yeah, just a conversation. Just a conversation. And I, I think, I, I, I think, hey, think... We're, we always say we love to hear both sides. I mean, there's, there's arguments to be made on both sides. And, uh, you know, you're welcome to come and share those views. And maybe that's where the value is now between this, this converse, conversation on Twitter, you know, between Alberta and, and Ottawa with this. 
because you know it it should some people might say you know on the one hand well that's stupid for that to be taking place on twitter and to be fair a lot of conversations on on twitter are pretty stupid <laughs> let's just be fair however twitter or x as they call it now oh god i refuse uh, to call it x <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> i don't know why how do you want to respond to that i mean carry on keep going <laughs> okay but However, it's also allowing the public to see that, hey, this conversation, it is taking place. People should be aware of it, no matter whether you agree or disagree with it. So instead of it getting filtered through, you know, through the CBC or CTV or the Globe or, you know, whichever media uh, legacy platform you're looking they at. Like so Globe. I think it is. I, I think it's great. Are we, are we back to liking the Globe and Mail again? Yeah, we, like we love the them. They're great. Should they're advertising again? We're on. We who do we like and not like now? I forget. Now the Globe currently doesn't have an advertising with us, but uh, Globe, we're we're open. We're we're waiting for the uh, but not but not the Canadian Tire though. Not not those guys. I like them. I like Canadian Tire. I I I I support them. I who didn't like the Canadian Tire? Steve doesn't like Canadian Tire. I think they just they're not they're not good. Chick Fil A though. On the other hand. I've never had a Chick Fil A. Okay, can we, can we finish with the ESG? Because I gotta go. <laughs> finish up. Back to up. Steve's severe invitation. Severe, sincere invitation to uh, anyone in in, in this uh, at Alberta, any other province in Ottawa. I, I think well, it is you a know who's yeah, you know who's been out uh, as well uh, in uh, recent weeks as well is um, the premier of uh, Saskatchewan. He's been out. Uh, very aggressively against uh he, he seems to be backing up alberta and um is not happy about the demands of the federal government so there you go i hear they have great lawn bowling facilities in saskatchewan so we need to go out that way next rich why don't you finish up with the est which which really does complement this conversation as well i think well, I just I, I warned well, when, when we had the discussion, I warned about the issues that would sort of inevitably creep up. And one of the things that I warned about was worries about performance, whether or not ESG uh, and for those um, ESG products or ESG rankings and ESG ratings and all that stuff had actu- any actual benefit to their clients. I made the case that it's basically just marketing um, and I, I stand by that view. And today, or this week rather, S&P Global, which is a rating agency similar to Fitch and Moody's and the one from France, which I don't remember, um, they said they stopped handing out scores to corporate borrowers on ESG criteria at the time of rising questions about their utility. Now, the article, of course, went on to stress about the political blowback that we're seeing on S&P Global, but I think that that's a red herring. The, The real issue that they're having is that it's not at all clear if just because you have a good ESG score that you are necessarily a better credit or that you at all subscribe to any of the purported benefits that these claims are making, whether you are or not good for the environment, whether or you're not good on social causes or whether or not you have a governance that is appropriate for that type of credit. And so they've stopped publishing it. Um, now, other credit rating agencies still have them. So Moody's is saying that they're going to stick to their guns. 
again, I think this is will be uh, casted to the annals of history. And in 10 years from now, no one will really hopefully, hopefully, I should say no one will think about this. But I think it is really interesting that a huge rating agency basically has stopped um, ranking or scoring the credits that they assess on these types of issues. And then the other story, which I thought connected to this was a little less important, but I think equally as interesting, which is um, a New York City pension fund is being sued um, for a breach of their fiduciary duties. And you say, why? Well, it's because they sold billions with a B, billions of dollars of fossil fuel assets, basically stocks of oil and gas companies. This is at a time now. Now there are good reasons and bad reasons to sell oil and gas companies. They haven't actually performed that well, frankly, in the last you know six months or what have you. But um, they are making money hand over fist, and their free cash flow yields. So basically, the cash after you strip away any sort of capex or um, sort of capital expenditures are at basically all time highs on my chart. And so these companies and they're buying back their shares and they're paying really high dividends. And so there's a, there's now a lawsuit, which will take them for a long, long time to, to flesh out, but you'll, you know, stay tuned to the Looney Hour and we'll keep you posted. But I just think it's, this is sort of the big, this is just an ongoing situation where people who don't, who say, listen, you cannot impose your political view on the world via the back door, which is what this is basically. And so Keith, I thought that was really interesting as a follow-up and I thought it was yeah, worth I, I love that. Uh, two, I need to say two things before we run. One is a public uh -oh. service announcement. <laughs> Go on. You got to repeat the story. Repeat the story. I already told them Popeyes is opening in Vancouver. <laughs> no, it's way more important than that. Say no to central bank digital currencies. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> and don't be fooled by the Bank of Canada announcement. That's just a subtle smoke screen. So oh, you stay on so, really? that. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Whoever wrote, actually, I was going to try to find this week who wrote the article, and I bet you it's it's someone that shouldn't have done it and sent it out. So anyway, say no to central bank digital currency. That's the public's, and the other one's an ice cap, major, not a major announcement. Uh, next week or the week after, we're going to have the annual ice cap beer bash or drinks in Halifax. Anyone who wants to attend, just, just send me a note either on Twitter or email and we'll let you know the details. Again, next week or the week after. I'm not sure which one. Rich, you're invited as always. I know I'm invited, but it's a Thursday. I can't, I can't yeah. do it a Thursday. You don't even have the week well, picked out. That's not very helpful. It's Well, it's next week or the week after. It just depends <laughs> on other things. How he's feeling. Yeah. What, a, what an announcement. What an amazing, well-coordinated <laughs> beer garden. <laughs> Well, I, 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 there's other, I have other work commitments that I might have to, uh, to show up, just show up both weeks and just show you know. up last year. We had one, one guy showed up and I think, so we'll try to, you know, we had more than one. Absolutely. No, sorry. Lots of fun. If you're in Halifax, you're interested in getting together for a pint or anything. Uh, All right. Well, hopefully on the us. next week's episode, we'll actually have an official time for Keith to announce, <laughs> but with that, it could said, happen. It could happen before the next episode. That's just it. This could be oh, the one. Man. This is really confusing for the people. Yeah. Classic um, loony hour. Yeah, we apologize. Events. But as yeah. as always, guys, uh, this has been a splice. We uh, we do appreciate your support as always. And we'll see you next week.